You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 190 by Rudolf Steiner, 12 lectures entitled Past and Future Impulses in Societal Events, translated by Paul King. This is Lecture 9, given in Dornach on the 11th of April, 1919. From the various discussions arising out of our current situation as humanity, you will have seen that from a certain higher perspective, What we can say about our present era is that humanity is passing through a very significant phase of its existence. When I talk about, in quotes, our present era, we have, of course, to be aware that this encompasses a very long period. And when we speak today of the present time, we are essentially speaking about the developmental era of the consciousness soul. As we know, humanity entered this period around the middle of the 15th century and will be in this phase for 2,000 years. We know that this era is the fifth post-Atlantean period. We know further that this period will be succeeded by another in which an aspect of human nature, completely different from what has existed in previous eras, will work its way to the surface. Let's see what this means. Whether looking at longer or shorter periods of time, we always divide humanity's total evolution into phases of a sevenfold nature. We are presently in the fifth post-Atlantean period. We know that in the sixth period, spirit self is to take possession of humanity in a certain way, and that our period, even though it also essentially brings to expression the consciousness soul, belongs to the development of the I, capital. From this you can see that with the transition from the fifth to the sixth post-Atlantean period, the human being crosses a kind of Rubicon, see illustration. Humanity as a whole enters a phase of evolution that leads into a higher spirituality. This is a very important and significant fact. Now, it is always inadequate to use the developmental phases of an individual person to describe large-scale conditions of evolution, for example, evolutionary conditions that affect the whole of humankind. It easily just results in comparisons. What I am about to discuss is certainly more than just a comparison, but you need to be careful not to take the matter too pedantically. You need to take it, in quotes, broad-heartedly. You know that when a person enters the world, we call the supersensory world, they have to cross what we call the threshold of the guardian. One enters the supersensory world by crossing this threshold. You will find a description of this crossing in my booklet titled The Threshold of the Spiritual World. And you can get a more exact idea in certain respects if you read this together with certain chapters of my book, Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, How Is It Achieved? You know that the thinking, feeling, and will that are integrated in the human soul become more separate when we cross the threshold, that thinking becomes, as it were, more independent in itself, feeling becomes more independent in itself, willing 
becomes more independent in itself, whereas in our ordinary mental life on this side of the threshold, these three human activities are more merged together, more interwoven. So, we will look at these two factors very closely. That if we wish to enter the supersensory world, we must cross the threshold. And that a kind of split takes place in the three main functions of human soul life, which makes thinking, feeling and willing independent. What an individual person can undergo consciously in crossing into the supersensory world is something that the whole of humanity is undergoing in this fifth post-Atlantean epoch without individual people necessarily being aware of it. The threshold through which the whole of humanity must pass lies in this fifth post-Atlantean period. See illustration. The fact that all humanity is passing through this threshold need not come directly to awareness in the individual person. If, for example, people persist in the mindset of the current majority, rejecting all spiritual findings, the whole of humanity would nevertheless still pass through the threshold in the course of this fifth post-Atlantean epoch, but the majority of people would be unaware of it. This stupendous event for humanity, which is a sole spiritual event that can be characterized as the crossing of the threshold, can only be conscious for people if they open themselves to the knowledge conveyed by spiritual science. But if not even a single individual noticed that this crossing of all humanity over the threshold was taking place, that humanity was actually already in the process of this transition, the significance of this passage for the evolution of humanity would nevertheless still be there. An event of this nature taking place in human evolution is not something that depends in any way on whether people notice it or not. The noticing of it may be lost to people. They might, through their inner rigidity, create obstructions for the emergence of knowledge of this fact. But this will not prevent the fact and what it signifies from coming to expression in human evolution as a whole. If you take this initially in this abstract form, you will be able to say to yourself that during this fifth post-Atlantean age, during the development of the consciousness soul, significant things, great things are happening in humanity. And indeed, one of the things happening in humanity is that a certain separation is taking place of thought life, feeling life, and will life. Please, keep this clearly in mind. A certain separation, a becoming independent of thought life, feeling life, and will life is taking place in humanity in the fifth post-Atlantean period. These three regions of soul life in humanity as a whole are becoming more independent, and this will distinguish humanity of the future from humanity of the past. That the soul in the past was more centralized, whereas the soul in the future will feel itself to be threefold. The individual, for themselves alone, will be able to undergo their own development along the lines indicated in title Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, How Is It Achieved? That concerns the individual. But when people come together, they are together as a people, as a nation, in the circulations of commerce and so on, when they interact with one another, 
recognize and satisfy their common interests, there develops what I have just described. In the living interaction between people, there develops this splitting of the total soul life into three spheres. This is because, as stated, behind the backdrop of existence, the whole of humanity is going through a phase of development that can be compared with the passage or crossing of the individual over the threshold to the supersensory world. Now, it is definitely possible to say that there are people in our time who notice something of these events taking place behind the backdrop of existence. But they notice them, as I should like to put it, in a negative way. I have often mentioned the name Fritz Mautner to you, who wrote a title, Critique of Language, and published a thick two-volume title, Dictionary of Philosophy. Since I mentioned some facts last time about the significance of language in human life, it might be interesting for you to look at the question, what does a modern person think about human soul life, who, like Fritz Mautner, turns his attention precisely to language, but who has no idea of the existence of a spiritual science? has no notion of what spiritual science can give humanity. When such a person, who is completely ignorant of spiritual scientific things, but has an acute mind and is more astute than any number of official academics, turns his attention to the effect of language on the psyche, he articulates curious observations about human development. In general, as you know, modern humanity is infinitely proud of what it calls its science. Fritz Mautner is not at all proud of this science. He thinks very little of this science. For he believes that when people think they have science, they are actually just rummaging about in words, are just clinging to words. And while thinking and communicating in these words, they imagine they have an inner soul life, whereas fundamentally they are just moving in external words. Fritz Mautner shows this. Now you will recall I recently said, that of all the structures of our language, the dead have the clearest understanding of what we say to them in verbs, whereas they notice almost nothing at all of what we want when we speak in noun substantives. From this you can get a feeling for what significance speaking has in the real spiritual life of the human being. And when people cannot free themselves in their thinking from the content of language, when they think noun substantively, they are actually thinking something completely unspiritual, something that doesn't reach at all into the spiritual world. By thinking substantively, they simply cut themselves off from the spiritual world. At the present time, it is also very much the case that people cut themselves off from the spiritual world through a certain noun-substantive thinking. Peoples who have already fallen into decline and who feel even verbs in a very substantive way cut themselves off completely thereby from the spiritual world. By considering that people today have in their science nothing other than a kind of self-fooling through language, Fritz Mautner comes to what, for the present time, is a highly remarkable view of human soul life. He says, To begin with, people encounter the world. When encountering the world with their senses, they initially take in only those impressions of the world which they describe with adjectives. People don't realize this, but it is a good observation. When you see a bird in flight or see a table just standing there, 
what you take in through your senses is actually only its physical attributes, like the bird's color. What you perceive of the table is only its attributes. The idea that apart from its attributes you perceive a particular table, that apart from the impressions you describe with adjectives, you perceive something else which you can describe substantively, this is self-deception, is just illusion. With their senses, people only perceive the attributes of things. But when they articulate these sensory attributes with the adjectives of language, they live externally and in their senses with the things. And a person like Fritz Mautner asks himself, if people live externally with things, what can they actually absorb from them? What can they reflect back of them? According to Fritz Mautner, People can only absorb from things what is reflected back in art. But we must think of art here as including the most primitive stage of humanity up to what we consider the highest level of art today. When human beings work on what they perceive with their senses, on what they can express in adjectives, it gives rise to art. For people like Fritz Mautner, who have discarded a great deal of modern superstitiousness, particularly the superstition in our schools, artistic creation, including the most primitive artistic creation, is the only thing the human being brings about creatively in association with things. But people are not content merely to express the qualities of things with adjectives. They form substantives, nouns. But with nouns we describe nothing of the external world that we encounter. Fritz Mautner makes this particularly clear, and thus says at the second level, When man rises to an illusory life by forming nouns, mysticism arises in his soul. He believes he is penetrating into the nature of things, and fails to notice that in nouns he actually has nothing. In this area, says Fritz Mautner, one can only dream. Thus his message is, if you really want to live, you must think artistically. Only there will you actually wake up. If you have no feeling for artistic ideas, you will not wake at all in your soul. You are dreaming if you believe you can penetrate into the nature of things beyond mere artistic forms of the sensory properties of matter. Your mysticism will lead you into unreality. But you have a certain satisfaction in this mysticism. You dream about the things of the world by forming nouns, substantives. From a spiritual, scientific perspective, this is, of course, a fatuous assertion, but an exceptionally clever and significant one for our present time, because, indeed, if people only develop the qualities they love so much today, all they will experience in the whole nounal world in which they can live mystically are dream illusions. Most people are just not aware of this. Strange as it may sound, it is an exceptionally significant fact for our present time that what people actually work with are the external, sense-perceptible attributes of things which they express in adjectives. They shape these external things by changing their attributes in some way. Then, in addition to working on these external things, perhaps in primitive art, for manual skills or any kind of activity, is a primitive art. People turn also, let's say, to the church, to schools. They think that there they hear something about the nature of things. 
but they only receive a noun-substantive education there. In other words, something that is actually pure illusion. An individual like Fritz Mautner has a very accurate sense of this. If we walk over a meadow, see the green expanse differentiated in manifold ways, dotted with white, blue, yellow, pink flowers, there we have what is actually real in the sensory world. But people believe they have something beyond this. When two people walk along a path together and one reaches out and picks something, he asks the other one, quote, What's this plant called? Close quote. The other person has perhaps once heard the plant's name from another person or at school and utters a noun. But this whole activity is illusory, is a dream activity. The real activity is only the seeing of the yellow, a shaped yellow. What is articulated beyond this in a noun is a dream activity. People today love this dream activity, but it actually has no content. Many people who are dissatisfied with merely dealing with external qualitative impressions listen to sermons and go to church services. But everything that lives in their souls through these sermons, through religious services, is basically nothing more than a dream, a sum of illusions, nothing real. People like Fritz Mautner, who look more deeply at the character of language, notice this and bring to people's attention that the moment they go beyond art or technical activity, they immediately enter the realm of mystical dreaming. Fritz Mautner goes on to differentiate a third level in the soul life of people today. He calls this level science. Today science is very proud of the theory of development, of evolution. What it describes is expressed principally in verbs. But now, take what I told you about experiencing verb activity. How many people today have a eurythmic experience of verbs? How dry and sober and abstract is people's experience of verbs? The Germans say Entwicklung, which is equals development, evolution, literally unwinding, unrolling. We also say evolution, from Latin evolvera, to unroll, to unfold, to express the same thing. But we get nothing from the word Entwicklung, or evolution, unless we are able to have a concrete sense of the whole word, to experience it inwardly. But when people say the present physical human being has evolved from lower organisms, how many of them think of a rolled-up ball of thread which is unwound? If you have a ball of thread that you unroll, you say you unwind it. This is evolution, Latin evolvera, unroll, unwind, unfold. Here you have a concrete idea. Now, take Ernst Haeckel's statement that man has evolved from apes. We won't go into that subject now. Do you believe that he thinks of a ball of thread and that something unwinds from it as man evolves from an ape? There is quite certainly nothing of such a concrete nature in the word that is spoken when we say man has evolved from the apes. Otherwise we should have to think of winding thread into a ball. What does it mean that we say the word evolved without picturing anything at all? This is precisely the curious thing, that people today, when thinking scientifically, express themselves primarily in verbs, resort to verbs, but no longer think anything in these verbs.
For if they were to make clear for themselves, from a linguistic perspective, what they are thinking, they would not be able to reconcile this with what they are thinking in reality. Scientific concepts are actually nothing other than pieces of scientific thoughtlessness. You can open the fattest erudite book, particularly on national economic theory, and go through the concepts. You will find that there are as many pieces of thoughtlessness as there are concepts. Now someone like Fritz Mautner, who has no notion of spiritual science, can naturally not see into the causes of this thoughtlessness. We, however, having recently discussed matters associated with language, are able to see into them. But Fritz Mautner feels that when people today speak scientifically, their scientific discourse, because of the limits of linguistic thought, is actually nothing more than a form of thoughtlessness. And indeed, one has to concede that there is no getting round the fact that at the lowest school level, where the children are very much sinned against, the child's mind, which still likes to have things presented to it in a sense-perceptible way, makes it necessary for us to give it a certain amount of concrete thoughts. When people enter secondary school, however, one can require more thoughtlessness of them, and then content in concepts ceases. And when we reach university, the pinnacle of thoughtlessness is what is passed on there as science. For today only procedures, technology, what is produced in the laboratory or in the dissection room, what is technical and man-made, has a semblance of reality. But what is thought? It makes no sense when I say, what is thought, because after all, nothing is thought. What is cultivated is thoughtlessness. What is thought is nothing resulting from thought. It is thoughtlessness. This is Fritz Mautner's feeling about this. Hence he presents the three levels of his spectrum. First the art, secondly mysticism, which however is a dreaming, and thirdly science, about which he says that in reality it is a docta ignorantia, an erudite unknowing. Such a thing articulated by a man like Fritz Mautner must be seen as the confession of a representative of the present time. This is what is said by someone who has discarded the superstition under which most people live today, and who, through an examination of language, realizes what emptiness is being poured over present-day humanity by the teaching of supposed thoughts at the heights of education, which, however, are only thoughtlessness. And this thoughtlessness is poured in a cascade of words into popular literature and finally becomes the awful word quagmire of journalism from which most people today feed their minds. If you think about what I have presented here using an individual who is representative of the times, who has no notion of spiritual science, and if you consider that although I chose Fritz Mautner as an example, there are many other individuals I could have presented only they do not express the matter so precisely with such blinkered system as Mautner. And if, in addition, you look impartially at the discussions people are having today, from ordinary coffee table gossip to the congresses at class level, federal level, national level, right up to the Duma, there is a collective clamor there, pervaded by the sounds of speech, words, and thoughtlessness.
But this, if we discuss it, describes the real situation in which we have to call culture today. This describes the world, which if we don't want to cause offense when addressing it, we have to call the cultural world today. All I have depicted are the actual facts and nothing else. And it is the task of spiritual science to see bravely through this situation without self-illusion. And you see, even people who are not involved in spiritual science come to the conclusion that it is a terrible superstition to regard science in the way it holds sway today as something real, that it is a docta ignorantia. And it has become so only gradually, ever since Nicholas of Cusa designated it a docta ignorantia in the 15th century, that is what our science has increasingly become. Daft individuals could, of course, now come along and say, What's that you're saying now? You've told us so many times that the present time has achieved great triumphs in natural science and that you fully recognize precisely these scientific triumphs. Yes, indeed, my dear friends, but... Nature is that which contains no thoughts in itself. Science can reach its greatest heights precisely in the age of thoughtlessness because we don't need thoughts. We only need external word formula in order to hold scientific facts together. Natural science has attained its greatness precisely because in order to be proper science it is allowed to be thoughtless, is even meant to be But what I have tried above all to bring to your attention is that some are noticing in the present time how humanity is undergoing something that makes its inner soul life a dreaming and science a sleeping and ignorantia. This is the comfortable and pleasant feeling people get from science and scientific thinking today, which lets them sleep in it so cozily. People simply do not believe how soundly humanity is asleep when it thinks it knows something, how its belief in the authority of what it calls science and what is given to it as science reaches the point of excess, nor how in its deep sleep it cannot apply this science anywhere to its real surroundings. Indeed, it regards it as fantasy when scientificity is applied to external life. Suppose you had all the scholarly works on psychiatry, all the books on mental disease in a library, and it would have to be a very big library. From the viewpoint of the present day, you would have a great deal of sagacious thought collected there. But we would also, naturally, have to assume that the psychiatrists who work professionally with these things know what is in the books, know the chief aspects at least, and indeed they do know it, but sleepingly. For when it is a matter, for example, of looking at life, of seeing that an individual who for years has dominated the events of a large part of Europe, yet really was and is insane, their science of psychiatry is of no use, for they don't think to apply their science to real life. Things were not always like this in the course of human development. If we go back to other ages, we find this was not the case to the same extent and it is less and less the case the further back we go. When people still had atavistic clairvoyance, their dreams were not dreams in the present sense, but had a soul content in which they perceived realities. 
and it was out of sleep that people sought to understand human affairs. But things have changed today to the extent that if people wish to remain human, they must gain a different kind of knowledge from the one Fritz Mautner sees as a docta ignorantia or a dreaming mysticism. People have to wake up, and they can only wake up through the findings of spiritual science. This is why I call what has to emerge a, in quotes, waking up. This waking up must become something very real, something that has a deep effect on life. People speak and think today in words. We have described this. Hence they believe they have thoughts. But in reality these thoughts are not there. For what are thoughts for the modern person when he or she comprehends them really as thoughts? They are nothing at all that is real. They are reflections of real things. And even when a modern person tries, indeed particularly then, to rise up to real thought, strives for a real life of ideas, they have to realize that these ideas are shadow images of a reality and not reality itself. I recently mentioned a chapter of Hegel to you. I said you would find it difficult because Hegel always moves in thoughts. And moving in thoughts is what is so terribly difficult for people today. One is even seen as obnoxious, highly obnoxious, when one moves in thoughts. When I first began speaking about anthroposophy in Berlin, all sorts of people came from the most diverse trends of so-called spiritual life, wanting to see what was going on. People came who were involved in spiritualism, who were trying to discover things about the spiritual world using all sorts of questionable mediumistic methods. And people came along who had dreamt many things about the spiritual world. And it often happened that precisely the people who were somewhat mediumistic regularly fell asleep during my lectures. One could see many of them sound asleep. And then they stayed away, and some of them said they were not allowed to go to these lectures again because the spirits had told them the lectures worked with ideas, with thoughts, and they shouldn't go to them. I still vividly remember one particular lady. She seemed to have felt unwell and made with quite some speed for the door. No sooner was she outside than she had to lie down. This was the impact that the giving of thoughts had on her. In general, people today are really not trained for thoughts. They would rather consider movement in the projections of language to be thought. But it is precisely when one does engage in thought that one realizes how, in our current fifth post-Atlantean epoch, when one really thinks, meaning when one lives in thoughts, one only has the shadow image of something. When one grasps the character of thought life properly, one notices that, in a certain sense, the soul moves there on the surface of thoughts, and that something is behind this that remains in the unconscious. This is the soul. But the soul sees something which it sends out in advance, as it were, as the shadow image of the element in which it lives. But the soul has to enter into what it really lives in. It has to grasp the shadow images, thoughts, ideas, and has to carry these into something that in many respects in people today remains unconscious. How can it do this? It can only do this by taking into its thought life that about which we can have no illusions when we receive it, 
This is thought-will, the sense of engaging our will when we think, the sense that we are present when we think, that we really lead one thought to the next, that we always have an underlying image when we think. People today don't like this. People today sit, stand, walk, and their thoughts just play through their heads in the form I have just described, as what is actually thoughtlessness, but it plays through their heads. People give themselves up to these so-called thoughts, hand themselves over passively, except any so-called thought that rolls through their head. And the consequence is that thought-will, the will element, the element that works actively in thoughts, is one of the very rarest things in the human soul today. The people who consider themselves to be in leading positions today are in general the least inclined to sit down and be active in their will. They quickly reach for the newspaper so that their thoughts can be rolled out from outside or for a book so as not to develop the inner activity that really leads to active thinking. With regard to this active thinking, modern humanity lives, it can't be called anything else, in social laziness. All this gives us the real shape of the transition felt by a person like Fritz Mautner when he articulates things such as I have just characterized for you. But all these things are epiphenomena, accompanying the crossing of the threshold by all humanity. In this fifth post-Atlantean epoch, the whole of humanity must pass, must get through the grave guardian. And precisely in this age of consciousness-soul development, people must become conscious that humanity is passing through this stage of its evolution. But here a kind of split must ensue in soul life. What was formerly centralized in a unity must be split into a trinity, and each separate part must be centralized in itself. Because we are dealing here with humanity in its communal life and not with the individual, this can only happen if there are external, in quotes, points of attachment, on which this tendency toward an inner threefoldness can anchor itself for further development. It is essential that these external points of attachment are present in the social organism in which the human being lives. This is certainly not some kind of indignant aperçu needing to be stated today about the threefold social order. It is what has to be made clear to humanity out of the signs of the times, out of the signs that arise when we consider that humanity is having to pass the grave guardian of the threshold. And if you want to find an inner characterization of the reasons why a threefolding of the social organism must be established, please read once more the chapter in Title Knowledge of the Higher Worlds that deals with the guardian of the threshold. It is all there already from a different perspective. You can see from this that in studying spiritual science we are studying the most important impulses of humanity's present development that from the most diverse perspectives, spiritual science draws attention to the most intensively active requirements of modern life. And when, in the chapter on the guardian of the threshold entitled Knowledge of the Higher Worlds, reference is made to the splitting of the human soul into three parts, 
into thinking, feeling, and will, it calls at the same time for thought to be directed for all humanity to the threefold social organism. This is how things are connected. If you look at an individual who crosses the threshold to the supersensory worlds, you can say, quote, this person experiences a split into a separate thought life, feeling life, and will life, close quote. If you look at modern humanity, which behind the scenes of historical development during the fifth post-Atlantean epoch is crossing the threshold, you will have to say, quote, this humankind must find its thought life in an independent thought organism or social structure, its feeling life, that is, the relationship of feelings between one person and another, in an independent legal organism, and the will life in the circulation of the economy in an economic organism. Close quote. If you look at these things in this way, you will have the right reasons, the deeper reasons, for why a threefold organism is so essential. And then you will also be able to get beyond the mere babbling of words that is so dominant in many respects at the present time. You will then see that at the present time we shouldn't be disputing in words, but should be realizing that words only get their weight and point to thoughts when we turn them in the right direction. When, for example, we consider that everything that must develop as the life of thought in the thought organism of humanity is the cultivation of individual capacities. This means that in the thought organism, individualism must hold sway. In the organism of law or the state, democracy must hold sway, because this has to do with what every individual develops in relation to other people. And in the field of economics, in the associative life that includes colleagues or associations and cooperatives that arise through the connection between production and consumption, in the field of the economic organism, in other words, socialism must hold sway. But things must emerge separately for the three independent sectors. At the moment we are living at a time when Araman is playing games with people by lulling them into illusions about what ought to happen. Thus he gets them to mix together the will organism and the feeling organism, namely socialism and democracy, as was the case in ancient times, and gets them to say, we want social democracy, but the individualist aspect is completely left out here because people don't like thoughts. Otherwise one would have to say, quote, we want individual social democracy, close quote which would cancel the most important ideas of current social democratic policy. In the confusion that joins socialism and democracy together into social democracy, you can see the working of Araman in humanity. But at the same time you see from this how we must feel that out of these games Araman is playing with people, we must develop what is right. And we will only feel the gravity of this what is right when we bear in mind the passage over the threshold in the fifth post-Atlantean epoch and know that because all humanity lives in the social organism, a threefolding of the social organism must take place as truly as a threefolding must take place in the individual human being when he crosses the threshold. We will continue tomorrow. We will come together again at seven o'clock. The end of Lecture 9